Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. On Friday, the Star Tribune started a series called In Harm's Way. Uh, Jeffrey Mitrot was one of the reporters, along with Jesse Van Burkle, Mary Jo Webster. And it is exposing Minnesota's child protection system and how kids are often exposed to neglect over and over again, often at the, to- at the hands of their own parents or step-parents, because they are reunified with their family after they're removed from a home from abuse and sometimes reunified too soon. It is a very troubling report, yet I encourage you definitely to look at it and and be awakened to what is going on around us. And joining us now on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline to discuss more is the lead reporter on it, uh, Jeffrey Mitrot from the Star Tribune. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today, Jeff. Absolutely. Good morning. Talk to us about why the Star Tribune and you in particular wanted to do this series on child protection. Sure. Um, yeah, I was working a weekend shift uh, a year and a half ago um, when the, the news first broke about the death of Eli Hart, who had been found in the trunk of his mother's car. And as um, I started working on the story that weekend, calling family members and finding out about the child abuse case that had been going on, um, it, it, it raised some really qu- big questions to us about how on earth this mother, who was basically flashing red, um, it looked like any reasonable person would have known that she would be a danger to her child, um, but nevertheless um, was reunited with that child and 10 days later shot him to death with a shotgun. Um, you know, it just raised the, the, the fundamental question, how often is, is this happening? And I felt a real urgency to try to answer that question because this isn't the first time um, something like this had happened um, almost 10 years ago. Um, one of my colleagues here, Brandon Stahl, former colleagues, he's now at CARE 11 doing terrific work. Um, Brandon had done a very good series, um, starting um, by focusing on a little boy who died named Eric Dean. And, um, you know, we thought that had changed things, and it didn't. Um, it was really stunning to me 
when I started the reporting on this because, you know, we all had thought that um, that investigation, which led to the creation of a task force and a lot of conversation about what's wrong with child protection efforts in Minnesota, at least on the front end, like um, how they're responding to the initial reports of cases and how much they're screening out these cases and failing to follow up. We thought that that had put the spotlight on how they were um, doing a bad job at responding to the initial reports and that they'd fixed that. But the data showed just the opposite, that in fact they they made big promises and didn't deliver. And so um, this death raised questions about the sort of the back end of the system. Um, when they really did investigate, um, how good a job were they doing? Were they protecting the children or were other kids being harmed like Eli had? And that's where we've, we found all kinds of new and troubling things that indicated that um, the state was reunifying way too early in way too many situations, hundreds of cases every year. And some of those kids do not survive the reunion. Jeffrey, is it a is it a matter? And again, great reporting. And you mentioned the the 2014 mm-hmm. report. And at the time, then Governor Mark Dayton, you know, started a task force to fix this problem. Is it a is it a rules problem? Saying that that the rules that are in place just favor uh, reunification over further separation, or is it just like a lack of due diligence? It's both. Um, first of all, we have a 12-month clock in the state, and, and, and that's how the judges are graded on what kind of job they're doing on child protection cases. And they're supposed to reach what they call a permanency decision within 12 months. And if they don't, um, then they, they don't look so good. The, the, the reporting that they do at the judicial level um, all is focused on are they meeting the 12-month clock. And I think that's putting undue pressure on judges. I heard that from a lot of people in the system, that that's a problem. I heard that from county attorneys who are working these cases. I heard it from social workers. I heard it from family members. So that's one issue. Um, And, of course, it's the fundamental policy of we're going to reunify sort of at all costs. Um, Believing that every parent is rehabilitatable um, is a really laudable goal. Um, But, um, you know, our reporting shows that many of these parents – are not really rehabilitatable and um and and bad things are going to continue to happen if you trust that uh you know they're going to live up to their promises you write in the uh story uh, a dozen children with child protection history died from maltreatment in 2021 that's the second highest figure in at least a decade and the number of repeat abuse victims is also up by 60 percent and that minnesota has a rate that's twice the national average, which is so unbelievably upsetting because we say we value kids and education and strong families, but clearly we're not backing up that with policy. Jeff, explain to us how the system protects maybe the abusers or the family or values reunification over the protection of the abused victim. Sure. The theory here is that... um, It's always better for the child to be with their birth parents than it is to put them in a foster situation because there is trauma in every case when you remove a child from um, from their natural parents. And so that's, you know, there is research backing that up. And it's undeniable that there is harm that is done to children when you take them away from parents. Um, And that has been played as the trump card that justifies putting kids back in the harm's way again and again and again is that, well, 
you know, it beats the alternative, which is we know these kids are going to be traumatized in foster care. But what it doesn't seem to be taking into account is the horrific abuse that's taking place when they are reunifying those families. And when the therapy either doesn't work or in cases where they simply don't cooperate, where they're told, okay, you know, you can have your kids back if you all get anger management therapy and parenting classes. And some of these parents absolutely are thumbing their nose at the counties. They're not following um, any of the safety plans that they're supposed to be doing, and they get their kids back anyway. We are talking. Yeah, it's uh, we're, we're, again, we're talking um, uh, to Star Tribune reporter Jeffrey Mitrot over this fascinating and troubling and, and horrific uh, uh, piece about uh, the state of Minnesota returning abused kids back to their parents and these tragic cases of kids who end up um, being murdered or killed. Mm-hmm. Is it the follow-up aspect of it about, you know, counselors and others who are meant to do follow-up work? Is, it, is staffing a level? I mean, are, are there enough people to do that job? Is there enough funding in those areas to to keep that operation going no you raise a really good question and especially since covid i've heard that that's that's become a very big challenge and so once again you come up that 12 month clock where um simply getting services to people within a 12 month period has become really challenging getting them connected with a you know psychologist a psychologist getting them into substance abuse therapy and we know a lot of folks will relapse so sometimes that's going to take more than one time um yes the social services part of this has become a real challenge and if you've got a deadline um uh, that you've got to meet then uh, you know at the end of the day something's going to get compromised um and 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 they're going to reunify um perhaps on on the you know promise of a parent to get that therapy when somebody becomes available and they'll reunify before any of those services actually are delivered because of those delivery issues because there are capacity issues Jeff, we want to keep talking with you. We're speaking with uh, Jeffrey Mitrot from Star Tribune on his series In Harm's Way. The first of the series was released on Friday in the newspaper. Jeff, can you just hang with us through the break? We got a couple more questions on the other side of the break, and we want to give it, uh, you know, enough time because it's such an important story. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, be happy to. Great. We'll be right back after this break. The special report from the Star Tribune is In Harm's Way, How Minnesota's Child Protection System Exposes Kids to More Abuse, Neglect, Frustrating, uh, Horrific, Sad, uh, all words to describe um, what has been exposed here. Jeffrey Mitrot from the Star Tribune joining us on the John Schuster Cowell Banker Hotline about his work along with Jesse Van Burkle and Mary Jo Webster. Uh, Jeffrey, what has been the response of the state to, to, to this reporting and the Walls administration. We heard uh, in our previous segment how back the report in 2014 spurred, uh, you know, then-Governor Dayton to create a task force on this. What's the response of the current administration to this? Uh, radio silence so far. Um, uh, however, I, I should note it took, you know, uh, a good 10 days for the governor to weigh in on the Eric Dean story back in 2014. It took three weeks for him to appoint a task force. You know, bureaucracies move slowly. Yeah. Eric, excuse me, I'm sorry, Jeffrey, tell us a little bit about how you guys did this reporting. I know, again, this is the first of a series. How many are there going to be in the series? And can you talk to us about your methodology? Sure. Yeah, there's going to be four stories. Um, the next one should be coming out next week, and it's going to be looking at um, uh, a particular um, 
uh, response um, within the system about how they basically are taking high-risk cases and treating them as though they are low-risk cases, um, which is a, a, a long-term problem that they have not solved. Um, the, the way we went at this was was, was really uh, difficult, uh, honestly. We, we expected much more cooperation from, from um, the Department of Human Services when we started our reporting. You know, these are public cases. Um, they maintain a database at uh, DHS uh, tracking um, progress uh, of all these different um, child protection cases. They wouldn't share any of that data with us. They said it was all proprietary, which we thought was pretty odd since they're all publicly filed and publicly available cases. So we had to do it the hard way, and um, what I did was I pulled uh, almost a thousand um, birth certificates. I'm sorry, death certificates of children who died from accidental causes, homicide, suicide, and um, undetermined causes, and then uh, ran those parents' names through the courthouse system, um, looking for matching chips cases. Um, child protection cases to see how many of these families have been in the system, how many, you know, um, you know, these kids were sort of known um, to the counties as victims and that their parents were abusers and that there had been a chance to intervene and save these children. Um, and so that took uh, that took a couple of months just going through all that paperwork. But at the end of the day, you know, we were able to sort of answer the question um, that the county um, sort of um, that the state sort of refused to help us out on. I'm wondering. So if I'm an abusive parent and my kids are taken away from me and I uh, try to uh, I make an effort to get my kids back. I mean, do you have you ident- like identified cases where parent abusive parents like don't get their children back and what like what was met in those what threshold was met in those cases that's not being met in these others where we have these tragic endings yeah, it, it it seems incredibly sort of um haphazard um i i can't i couldn't find any real standards in in terms yeah. of like why was there some a better outcome in some cases and not a good outcome in others? What does it take? And part of that is because the rules are so fuzzy. Um, you know, as we'll explain in the next story, um, sometimes they have to determine what what is the substantial you know risk of child endangerment. Um, substantial is not defined. Is it low risk? Is it high risk? Um, it's all sort of in the eye of the beholder. And so a lot of these things are being determined. Um, very much on an individual basis, county by county, worker by worker. I found absolutely, you know, no standardization, um, and, and 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 sort of explain sort of the, the to me how the findings were all over the place. Where in some cases, parents um, are justifiably upset because it seems like their kids are being removed for the smallest of infractions and put in foster care, and and that there's an overreaction by the system. In other cases. The worst imaginable parents who don't cooperate at all with the county get their kids back. And, and and that to me is like, how could there possibly be those kinds of outcomes? That to me tells says that the state's not paying attention and the counties aren't looking at these cases, trying to figure out why these outcomes are so wildly different. Jeff, how are you and your team, by the way? Because just after reading one story, 
I was deeply affected by this piece and just devastated that there are so many missed opportunities to save children that, you know, you, you cite kids that were returned to the home days before they were murdered or committed suicide. And that's another thing. These Some of these older kids commit suicide because they're being returned to a place where they're constantly raped, you know, by somebody in their home. So, I mean, how did you guys handle your mental health while taking in months of these stories? It's the most challenging material I've ever worked with, and I've been doing this work for over 30 years. It, it was the ugliest um, documentation I've ever gone through, and it was, it, you know, I've heard about second secondhand trauma. You hear about it with, especially with these frontline workers, with these child protection workers and the guardians who are assigned by the courts to protect these kids. I can understand how traumatizing it is to be in their shoes when they actually know these families and are doing this work. So I don't envy them. They got a tough job. Um, um, just reading about it, you know, as a, as a, as a third party was extremely challenging and yeah, it, it took a toll. And um, there were some months there where it was hard to get out of that cave and, and get into a happy place. Um, but, you know, for me, the guiding principle kept, kept coming back to like, you know, Hey, we're doing these for the kids, you know, we've got to shine a light on this because this, this is just not acceptable. Well, we have to hope that these, your effort and your team's effort will lead to changes uh, and substantive changes as opposed to a decade ago, because it sure seems like uh, we're getting lip service on that right now. Uh, very important reporting, mm-hmm. a great reporting and a very difficult subject. Jeffrey, thanks to you and your team. And Thank we'll you, uh, continue Jeff. to read your series. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. Thank you for the interest. In Harm's Way, uh, Star Tribune special report about uh, Minnesota's child protection system exposing kids to more abuse and neglect. A very difficult read, but a very Mm. important read to have. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.